Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. And welcome to another episode of the SD4L show. I'm Justin Thin. Today I'm uh, co-hosting with the smartest mind in the sphere of MSU basketball, David Klein from SpartanHoops.com. David, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing? Merry good. Christmas, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. It's good to see you. Yeah, you as well. It's a good time to be talking hoops, I would say. Absolutely. We got a little uh, Michigan-Penn State game on in the background. Yep. That one's getting a little tighter, so... It's a good day. Yeah, Michigan State's been uh, having some wins uh, strung together ever since Malik Hall came back. Yeah, um, good sign to see him kind of come back. Obviously, maybe not the production that you'd like, uh, but but game one, he looks good. 11 points in 13 minutes, and I just think generally he's had a calming presence on both sides of the ball for Michigan yeah. State and like to see kind of where where it's going right now for the program um, heading into the heart of conference play. Definitely, and um, I forgot who tweeted it, but somebody put out um, recently, they said, Michigan State with Malik Hall in the lineup has lost just one game, and it was by one point to Gonzaga on the boat. So essentially when he plays, they don't lose for the most part. And like you said, he's not even fully back yet. He wasn't his usual self yesterday, I, I think. But he's um, just somebody that I, I felt that if fans were judging the longevity of the season, what the ceiling could be when he was out, such as after the Notre Dame game and others, it was an incomplete uh, assessment. Like I wasn't entirely sure where a lot of the negativity was coming from back then. Maybe I was just unnecessarily positive. But this is kind of what I saw would happen when, when Malik Hall came back. Is that kind of how you were feeling when you kind of saw the change in energy towards the season or no? Yeah, I think for the most part, Michigan State's record is indicative of losing two of your top six guys from where it's at. I think they just kind of had to hang on and survive that weekend in Portland. Um, and I think that they're at a point now where you saw in the first half of that Nebraska game what maybe the ceiling of their potential is when everything's kind of clicking and humming on both sides of the ball. They hold Nebraska to 17 points. They score 39. Uh, Tyson Walker gets loose for 16, uh, ends up with 21. So I think that this is a team that's starting to kind of put the pieces together, and it really couldn't come at a better time. Yeah, and one of those pieces – uh, Jaden Akins, he's just been ripping the net from three in recent weeks. What have you kind of seen from him? And I guess, did you even expect him to shoot this well this early on? I know we were both really high on him, but this is this is another level. Yeah, you know, I thought he was always a little bit of a streaky shooter in high school. Um, he's he's shot it pretty consistently. I think he went one for four, one for five last night. He had a couple corner looks that just couldn't couldn't find the bottom. Um, but up to that, I think he was 11 for 15 over the last four games coming into that Nebraska game. So his shooting has been a positive. Um, I want to say his plus minus last night was absurd. It was like plus 26 or 27, something something crazy high like that. So he continues to make an impact um, whether he's knocking down shots or not. And I just thought generally last night's performance was kind of a complete game for Michigan State. Uh, AJ doesn't get a ton into the scoring column, uh, but you got a little bit of production from the bench, which has been kind of up and down. Kohler scores 10. Pierre Brooks has 8. And I think it was just a situation where uh, Michigan State really punched Nebraska in the mouth. Maybe their best half of basketball since either the Kentucky or Gonzaga game and with Michigan looming and Michigan playing much better now we saw them blow out Maryland earlier this week um, playing PSU and had a really good first half this is a team that's you know kind of turning a corner as well both teams are and that matchup just looms so large for both teams heading in this Saturday 
Yeah, I think um, Michigan State has relied on a few of the, the usual suspects as well, um, in addition to Aikens coming on and, and Malik Hall coming back, because you see Hogar is still distributing well. You see Joey Hauser just basically as consistent as you can want someone to be, someone to be after that Gonzaga game. Um, so a lot of a lot of pieces that are that are playing well right now. Tyson Walker had a great first half uh, last night. So um, I don't think Michigan State could be um, on a better run uh, that you could hope for right now going into this game. But starting to seem like as we transition into talking about the upcoming game with with Michigan on the docket that they also seem to be kind of hitting their best stretch of the season so far as well. Yeah, and you know, I think when you looked at this team on paper, you thought to yourself, they returned an All-American center, they went out and got another transfer point guard, Jalen Llewellyn, who now has torn his ACL, he's out for the rest of the season. Um, I thought that when that happened, there might be a brief period where uh, Doug McDaniel would have to adjust a little bit, but the schedule kind of allowed for that. I think he started playing much better. He, He just gives them a lot more potent offense I think Llewellyn just is a little bit slow not athletic Um, they're a little thin at the guard spot they obviously can't afford it again but Bufkin's been playing a little backup point guard and he's been having a really really good stretch this season and I think if you look at it they got two wings that are probably pros I think Bufkin maybe not this year but in the next is really going to take another step and uh, probably ends up a pro Jet Howard could go this year in probably the teens just outside the lottery right and Hunter you know for how much trash he talks and how obnoxious he can be. Uh, he's a really good player. And last year, you know, when we were at Michigan, dropped 32 or 33 on us. He's mm-hmm. a guy that you have to circle that matchup and be a little bit worried about as well. So I, I think that heading into this game, Michigan State should feel good at the position that they're at in the last couple games where they've seen some progress and getting back to being a little healthy, getting a, maybe a little deeper rotation. Some guys like Trey Holloman you're seeing kind of take steps in the right direction, particularly offensively. He's kind of always been that lockdown guy, but now he's hunting his shot a little bit more. So Michigan State's bench has developed a little bit in light of the injuries, and now they're in a situation where uh, it's going to be a really good matchup in East Lansing. I think the one thing that you probably like in this matchup um, when you're looking at it is just the fact that Michigan State is much older and they have a lot of guys that have played in this game. And for how good Michigan has been playing these last two, uh, both of those games have been at home. So going on the road, particularly the Breslin Center, which should be a snake pit on Saturday, uh, I think this is a situation where there will be some moments where maybe the freshmen look like freshmen for them, and Michigan State needs to capitalize to be able to come out with the victory. Yeah, definitely, because I remember last year, even some of their vets, like Hunter Dickinson was rattled in that second half when, when people were screaming in the Breslin, and even if he keeps his cool, like you said, they got Doug McDaniel over there, they got Kobe Bufkin, who's a true sophomore, so... They have some guys that could get rattled in that sort of an away atmosphere. And this game against Penn State, where I think now they're up 11, uh, went on an 8-0 run there, um, as well as the last game um, against Maryland, where they just came out and were up by 29 and a half. Yeah, blew them out. Yeah, it's those two games, like you did point out, they are at home. Um, in addition to that, yeah, admittedly they are turning a corner as well, and it's not just the, the favorable venues that they have. But I think at the end of the day, though, it, it's going to be – down to a few matchups it's going to be how big of a disparity can aj create at the point guard spot i think between him and doug and then obviously the, the center matchup can Marty stay out of foul trouble is, yeah is kohler or cooper stopping dickinson at all when, yeah. when they're in there cooper like didn't that. get any run this last game in nebraska you, you're thinking now that michigan state's kind of moving towards um limiting maybe some of his minutes and kohler playing a little bit more but this isn't a great matchup for him. Right. Uh, Kohler had 10. I thought offensively was maybe the you know the best performance that he's had in his early career. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensively, when I went back to watch the game, uh, had 14 points scored on him. So you know it was a little bit of give and take still yeah. on that. And that's kind of maybe what we expected going into the season. So it's nice that at least one side of the ball is starting to come along for him a little bit. Uh, but asking a kid that's you know six eight probably on a good day in shoes yeah. to be able to guard seven one hundred Dickinson, I, I think really worries me. And I think that when you're looking at maybe some of the wing matchups too, it'll be interesting to see. Um, Michigan started this game with Jalen Pickett uh, being guarded by Kobe Bufkin. I, I think he's their best perimeter defender, and I think that AJ maybe ends up seeing him in the matchup that 
uh, Doug and Tyson um, might end up mm. matching up, so it might be a little bit of a chess game there to see kind of how that looks. Uh, I think AJ would absolutely abuse Doug, and that's why Michigan did the same thing because Pickett and AJ to me are very similar players where they really want to get you on their hip and kind right. of punish you at the rim. So it's a situation where I think there's going to be you know some back and forth about where these matchups are going. Um, but like you said, the the big one is is how does Michigan State guard the post? And last year. Uh, they they did it very effectively where they basically said we're not going to give up um, you know any double teams on Hunter we're going to let him score his and then we're going to lock down the perimeter and they did that very effectively and Michigan State won I think by 16 or something like that uh, the second game they tried to do that and Hunter just ended up demolishing them uh, you know Bingham didn't play a good game Julius Marble got absolutely destroyed and I think the one thing that I'll say about this is. Um, Bingham was always better on maybe kind of bigger guys that were maybe a little bit less tall. I, I don't think that he ever really played a great matchup against Dickinson that I can recall when, right. when they played. I think Matty has the physicality and some of the strength to be able to withstand some of the post position that Hunter like tries to get each game. So I think in terms of you're just looking at maybe the defensive matchup, this is going to be maybe the, the toughest one that Hunter has seen since yes. um, Michigan State has has played him since it's been in his career. Um, but Matty has to stay out of foul trouble because, like we said, if, if he gets a couple early quick, that sends the entire center rotation in tailspin. I personally would like them to just play small ball, make Hunter – um, you know, score over the top on either Hauser or Hall, but then having to come out and guard the perimeter, which might give Michigan State an advantage in terms of offensively. I'm curious to see what they do. I think they dig down a little bit. We've seen that a little bit more from the guards, so maybe they dig down a little bit on off certain guys. Um, but you can be very, very certain that Hunter's on the top of the the chart in terms of the scouting report and how Michigan State handles it and how he just comes out. Because if he comes out and they play him in single coverage and he misses a couple and it starts going Michigan State way, I think that they can live with that. If he comes out and he absolutely starts dominating there, I think that Michigan State needs to be quick to adapt and find the ability to um, pull the right triggers, push the right buttons, and, and make an adaptation during the course of the game. And I'd say that's the biggest one I'm, I'm worried about. And then, um, you know, the two wings, again, for Michigan, both probably pros, Jet maybe this year and, and Kobe the next. I think that Michigan State has to do a nice job of giving them no airspace um, and just really not letting Jet Howard get to his spots because when he does uh, 6'8", very lengthy, good shooter, it, it's going to be problematic. So, again, does, does Malik Hall play him some? Um, who gets that matchup originally? I, I'm not 100% certain. If Aiken starts, maybe uh, he's the one that ends up getting Bufkin and, and then you're kind of sliding it over. So it, it's interesting to see the chess match that will occur in this game during the course of it. Yeah, and it appears that there was a delay for five or six minutes. They were wiping up the court because um, Pierce Hunter Dickinson broke his nose. Um, blood was just gushing and dripping all over the place, but I, I see him on the bench now um, smiling, so it must not be too bad. But if that is a broken nose, I wonder if he's going to be over there playing with a mask, playing phased, um, not looking to draw contact. Probably not, just wishful thinking. But it's um, yeah, it's going to be a, a great matchup because, as you said, um, since Hunter Dickinson's been at Michigan, this is definitely the toughest starting center he's faced against um, at Michigan State. But it's also the biggest drop-off if he gets that starter into foul trouble, probably. It, yes, agreed, 100%. And I think what you've seen from Maddie is maybe some of the offensive production has dipped a little bit from him. Um but what has increased is his just glass cleaning ability. I, I think that he's been more active blocking shots. I, I believe that he's rebounded at least 10 rebounds the last three games, which I think mm -hmm. is a very good sign. And I just think Michigan State's general presence physically on the glass uh, is, is much better when he's in the game. So if he can stay out of foul trouble, he's going to probably have to play 25-plus this one. Maybe they flirt a little bit with the small ball lineup. I think Terrace Reed, who's the backup for Michigan, also a freshman, is playing around eight or nine minutes a game. Uh, so maybe you sprinkle that in when Terrace Reed checks in, you have Kohler check in, and you have that freshman-on-freshman matchup. Uh, I think, again, you just kind of have to – watch as the game evolves and see which levers you need to pull at the right time and I thought Michigan State did a nice job the staff did a nice job of it Nebraska game kind of 
getting the right guys at the right moments and pulling the right pieces to be able to kind of come out swinging. Yeah. So we hope you see that again. And if Kohler does have to come in and guard uh, Terrace Reed, I think he'll have some confidence from what happened the last time those two were matched up at the Iverson Classic practices. Yeah, no doubt. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he... Um, I don't think Terrace is, is the same player. It seems like he's put on a lot of weight since then. I don't know if it's all good weight or some of it's bad weight or not. But um, I, I think, yeah, Jackson Kohler can come in and not actually be outmaneuvered. And his, his relative slow-footedness might not be as much of an issue in that matchup for sure. So I, I think, yeah, if for some some um, with some hope, if they can get Hunter into some foul trouble, I know he's usually pretty good at that. Um, not the most tenacious defender. Um, but I, I think if, if they can somehow keep that in a neutral sort of a setting and not have Hunter put 30-something on him like in game two at the Breslin, I don't see how Michigan State doesn't win this game. I suppose Jet Howard could go off if they contain Hunter relatively. But, you know, I mean, Kobe Bufkin's good, a future pro like you said. But to me, this Michigan team doesn't seem to have as much depth going down the roster where if you say, if we can contain Hunter – there are so many other guys that can go off. I don't get that feeling whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think that you know containing Hunter is a, a story in itself. I'm not sure if they have the personnel to be able to 100. When I say contain, I say maybe yeah. 24 points instead of 34 points. Yeah, not I, like I, 10. Points. I think he's going to probably come pretty close to getting 2025. But I think that if you can make him do it, where he shoots, mm-hmm. you know, eight for 20 instead of you know, 14 for 20. I think the difference is making him as inefficient as possible. And again, just whether you mix up the looks, if he's getting digs down, whether they throw some double teams, I just think keeping him on his toes and again, keeping Maddie out of foul trouble is gonna be big there. Um, just to touch briefly on the bench, I think you're right about that. Uh, Michigan got some production out of this start in this Penn State game I watched before we headed over here. Uh, Joey Baker hit a couple threes. Terrace Reed, had, I think, had four points in the first half. That's kind of been atypical for them. They really haven't gotten much production off the bench now that Doug has kind of moved in the starting lineup with Llewellyn's injury. So this is a situation where I think whether Hall comes off the bench or Aikens, I'd assume it's still going to be Hall coming off the bench. You got some stuff that you saw out of Brooks, at least some shot making. Uh, Kohler's at least giving you a little bit of a boost, and I think Trey Holloman can come in and defend um, and, and just give you a presence there. I think Michigan State has a little bit deeper, even though maybe the quality um, for both units isn't isn't overly great. But I think Michigan State goes more seven, eight deep, where this Michigan team really is more like six or seven guys, and I think that they kind of have to live and die by right. how the starters play. So again, if Michigan State can rattle some of the freshmen and get them out of their rhythm early, if the Breslin can get rocking because a couple shots go down for Michigan State, especially from beyond the arc. Uh, I think that this game can flip a little bit, um, and you just have to kind of hang in there because we saw from Michigan State very capable of going on runs. I think they had three 10-0-plus runs in yesterday's game, and they also had some periods where they really stagnated and they just couldn't put the ball in the hole. I think that's partially as a result of just not having a go-to low-block score. Michigan, on the other hand, has the go-to low-block score, but if they stop missing shots on the perimeter sometimes that gets into guys heads so um it's almost kind of like a a flip conundrum there and i think the start of the game is just so important for michigan state to get off early hit a couple shots settle in realize that this is a game that you can take control of and if they do that I, i like michigan state's chances yeah definitely and now michigan's opened it up to a 14 point lead in the second half but penn state just that's that's turned into a great win for for Michigan State, regardless of how this one turns out. They went over to Illinois and they won that game, and, and then they beat Iowa um, a couple nights ago. And Jalen Pickett, I mean, I, I guess Zach Eady will probably probably be most people's choice for Big Ten Player of the Year. But for me, if Penn State makes the tournament comfortably, um, just meaning like not on the bubble um, on Selection Sunday. I think Jalen Pickett, for me, I think he's the best player in the Big Ten, or at least the hardest guy to scheme against because he does it with assisting, he does it with rebounding, and he does it with scoring. Um, just just a great player. I, I think he's the guy that when you look at um, a Denzel Valentine type of guy where on a day he's not scoring, he's still assisting. A day he's not assisting or scoring, he's rebounding. A guy like Edie, I don't know if he has that kind of a bag. Is he your pick so far in January for Big Ten Player of the Year, or is it still Yeah, even? it's it's the way that Purdue has come out. Obviously, they, they lost to Rutgers at home the other night, um, so maybe that shakes it up a little bit, and they've looked vulnerable. On the road at Nebraska, looked a little vulnerable. Um, I, I think it, the, the entire conference is just mayhem. I thought Purdue was kind of in a clear tier one by themselves, 
and now that seems to be disproved and maybe Rutgers is the best team right. in the Big Ten Especially right now. Especially at home. Really wild. Even though that was an away win. Yeah, that's an away win and they beat Indiana and they went on the road and OSU stepped out of bounds and then hit a shot. So they, they probably should have won that one too and been 3-0 with the two best road wins in the conference at OSU and at Purdue, yep. at least by the metrics. So I don't I don't know what's going to happen. It's so hard to predict because we're just kind of dipping our toe into this part of it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, ask me the question when we get to the middle. I think right now Zach Eady is the clear front runner, uh, but I do think that if Pickett can continue to put up the production and Penn State finds a way to maybe finish fifth, like mm-hmm. top five in the conference, I think there has to at least be a consideration for him because, yeah. like you said, he's been he's been dynamic. Yeah, Big Ten's wide open. I, I mean. Even though they haven't played amongst themselves that much right now, I guess what would be your power ranking spot for Michigan State heading into Big Ten play for the most Man, part? Man, this is like games are changing that by the very minute. Yeah, um, I, I think that they've put themselves in the position with winning at Penn State, taking care of business pretty convincingly against Nebraska. I, I think that if they beat Michigan at home on Saturday. I would probably have them pegged into the top four or five in the conference right now. And I think the degrees of separation are very minimal. Um, I really think basically one through eight, nine can can be in there. Like Wisconsin's 3-0. and oh, I, don't, I don't think they're a great team, but they continue to find ways to win. They only beat Minnesota on the road by three when they're favored by 12 and a half last yeah. night. Um, but that's just the kind of style of play. They're continuing to grind out games and find ways. I think if you just look up and down the conference, uh, there's a bunch of flawed teams, and it's just this next like two weeks for Michigan State is going to really let us know who they are. You have Michigan at home, a Michigan team that's surging. You then go on the road to Wisconsin, then on the road to Illinois. You come home and you get Purdue and Rutgers, then you go right. on the road to Indiana. I mean, the schedule is absolutely brutal. I think if they can find a way during this stretch to go, um, what's that? Is that six games? Two, four, one, two, four. Yeah. So I think if you can find a way to go four and two, you still like the spot that they're in to compete for a Big Ten title. Um, but if they go 500, am I going to be surprised with that schedule? That's the thing, right. right? Michigan State's probably has one of the tougher ones. I haven't looked to see on Kempom how that's all shaking out now that some of the teams are dipping and some are kind of soaring. Right. Uh, but I think that just on paper, if you're looking at the next five, six games, I'm not sure there's a team in the Big Ten that has a tougher road ahead of them in the month of January. And so what this team is going to be by the end of February is different than the team is now to the end of January. So I think that I just like to see exponential growth um, win some games that maybe you probably don't have a, a right to do. Maybe you find yourself in a grindy one. Uh, take care of business when you're at home in the games that you should win. And it's a situation where I think the tournament is wide open. We've spoken about how the oh, Big yeah. Ten is complete chaos. I really think outside of a couple teams at the top, Houston, Arizona, UConn, this field is wide open, and it really the, the better seed Michigan State can get uh, great. But I think that this is a situation where – they can really hang with any team in the oh, country yeah. when they're fully healthy and they're up firing on all gears. And so you just have to kind of hang in there, take some lumps that you're going to get in the conference play, yeah. come out a better team at the end of this month and then the next, and uh, just build towards something. I think we're starting to see the pieces come together, and we'll know a lot more about this team uh, really after the next week. Yeah, so. definitely. But right now, I'm kind of where you are, where you say that 4-5 range, obviously depending on what happens. But at this point in time, um, they seem to be in that same sort of range where we thought they could be before the season started. So for the most part, generally, they are what, what we thought they would be so far. And now they have um, a tough schedule ahead where they could either improve their ceiling and we could be talking them talking about them being a top two or three team in a few weeks or just staying in this four four or five range. So um, opportunity is ahead. And um, speaking about what's ahead, uh, kind of switching over to the part of um, – college sports that that is my forte for the most part it's a nice intersection for the two of us yeah i I think even uh when it comes to basketball recruiting i think you definitely pay more attention than i do but um this is this is becoming very interesting now after the 2023 class um izzo kind of showed us that he was um just hitting another gear essentially um, people were talking about the transfer portal and, and things of that nature and how he needs to change, how he needs to do this. 
Izzo decided he wasn't going to pursue the portal, and as a result of that, he didn't just sit around and be stubborn. He went ahead and put that energy into high school recruiting and said, I'll never find myself in a situation in an offseason in the future where I will need the portal. You might, maybe a spot here and there, but eight, nine scholarship guys in the offseason, he's determined to that for that to not happen in the future. So... 2023, we all know, we've all litigated that class and, and how great it is and, and all that. And um, it's for those that don't know, it's Tom Izzo's highest ranked class in the 24-7 sports era. Um, but 24, it seems like a continuation of that blueprint, of that energy, of that approach. Um, Owen had put up the tweet there a little while ago of, of a tweet that I put out today, which is um, just a 2024 recruiting notebook of kind of things that I'm hearing. Um, there it is again. So definitely go check that out. But for the, for the most part, my two takeaways right now are there's two guys that they're in a good spot with, uh, Jesse McCulloch and Kerr Tang. And then there's a lot of options to fill out the other two spots in the class. Before I dive any deeper, DK, I'll let you talk about what you kind of see overall in the 2024 class. Yeah, so I think that when you're looking at team needs, right? So Pierre and Jaden will both be seniors. Trey Holloman, Kohler Cooper will be juniors. You have Jeremy Fears is going to be a sophomore. Not sure if you're going to get two years out of Xavier Booker. That remains to be seen. I think you get two at least out of Cohen Carr and then Garrick Norman. I think that what you want to do in this scenario is surround Jeremy Fears by as much shooting as possible. Akins has kind of taken that step like we talked about this year to kind of being a much more consistent shooter at a higher volume. Um, but really, if you look kind of across the roster, Brooks has been shooting pretty well. Where else is all the other shooting kind of going to come from? And the two guys that you mentioned most – um, that Michigan State feels in a pretty good position right now. Kerr Tang, who's a 6'4", 6'5", shooting guard out of Massachusetts, and Jesse McCulloch, um, who's like 6'9", kind of more in the Hauser mold, where mm -hmm. he's more of a pick-and-pop guy, perimeter guy, uh, maybe a, a pinch more athletic than Hauser, but a, not like a great athlete by any measure, more of a, a skill player. And I think that if Michigan State was able to land those two guys kind of somewhat early in the cycle, in the spring cycle, in early summer, you have a pretty solid foundation uh, to then go out and try to swing on a couple of the higher guys. Right. Uh, Flory Bagunga is the guy that I think you just circle with a red marker over and over again and you just pray that Michigan State has a real chance on it. Uh, the, the top center in the entire class, he's 6'9", like 220, 230. He's built like a man. He plays like a man already. I, I think that if Matty Sissoko doesn't opt in to stay a five-year, which is always kind of a dice roll, um, they're absolutely going to need to go out and get uh, a, another center. I just don't know what you have yet in Carson Cooper and Jackson Cooler. It's, it's too early to say that either of those guys is a bona fide 25 to 30 minute starter at this right. point. Yeah, next season's a very big swing season, I think, for both those guys. And so I think you need an athletic kind of rim protector, a guy that's kind of a force there. He 100% checks all the boxes. The other guy that they were looking at, center James Brown, just committed to UNC. Yeah. The, the bright spot about that is at least he's committed early and you're not wasting resources and Definitely. time on that. So I don't mind that necessarily. I, I know that you alluded to in your article that maybe another guy emerges. They, they've looked at this guy from Ohio, McKinley. I actually quite like his game. He, mm. he reminds me a little bit of a like kind of a Nick Ward type, but maybe with a little bit more of a mid-range jumper. He's kind of a bigger, stockier guy, but a little undersized, like 6'9", 6'8". Um, I, I wouldn't think mind. I think he's longer than Nick Ward, uh, yeah. wingspan wise. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and so, I, I think that maybe somebody else has to emerge. I'd really like to see them add another young like center just to just to give yourself a little bit more of a safety net if the right. other two guys don't work out. And then I think that you want to try to swing for kind of a higher level, maybe a bigger wing because Kurtang is. Uh, like closer to 6'4", maybe than 6'5". I think you've got to get a guy that's 6'6", 6'7", and they're looking at a couple of those guys. And I know you mentioned in your article, uh, Bryson Tucker's the guy that, to me, I've circled as IMG Academy guy. Um, I think he's top 10 or top 15 in the country right now. He's gone out of his way to min mention Michigan State multiple times yeah. that he intends to take a visit. Uh, I really think it's going to come down to Michigan State and Duke. Uh, I guess the last wing that we beat him for was Max Christie, so you hope that you know happens again. But I think it's a situation where there's a couple other guys, and maybe you want to touch on those that Michigan State's taking.
taking a look at, but I think you need two wings and you need a power forward and a center in this class. You could take a combo guard like you alluded to as well. I, I don't know if it's necessary given some of the guard depth that you have on the roster that should remain, but it's a situation where Michigan State should absolutely be able to have a four-man class and really here on out, I don't think that they should ever not have four guys in the class. If you're going to go away from the portal, he needed to widen the net geographically, which he's continued to do, yep. and he needed to be able to um, just fill out larger classes. And and he's been able to do that with 2023. He needs to repeat that with 24 and beyond. Yeah, um, yeah great breakdown on those guys. Um, the, the part about them looking at a new center, um, that was probably the only part in there that wasn't intel. That was my opinion. And the reason I said that was – you look at what they've done in previous years. Um, in the Jackson Kohler class, they went and found him later on. Now, if he becomes what everyone expected is to be determined, but that's the guy that went out there, they found late in the cycle, and he ended up being ranked higher than um, Isaac Trout. Different positions, kind of different molds, but you get the idea. They're able to identify the late-rising kind of kid, um, all, the way on Utah, all the way in Utah on the other side of the country. So I have faith that if they don't land Flory, and um, if they don't feel that Aiden, uh, Aiden Cheryl is the kind of guy you pair Jesse McCulloch with, they're going to still pursue him full out. But um, if they want to get a, a pure center, I think they can go find one. They've showed the prowess to go do, to that, do that at the end of the classes. Different yeah. positions, but Cohen Carr, Garrick Norman, they weren't on those guys for a year and a half. So I have total faith that if they feel that they need to go find another pure center, they can find one if they needed to. Yeah, that's what you hope. Um, I think Aiden Cheryl's more of a power forward. I know right. when you're, you're looking at Jesse McCulloch and him, I think Cheryl probably has a little bit more upside. He's 6'11", he's longer, he's more yeah. athletic. Um, similar shooters where they, they prefer to more play in a face-up game or from the perimeter. Uh, but to me, it seems like maybe he's going to end out West or in the SEC. He's, yeah. he's got a lot of love from Alabama and some other schools. I'm not sure. I think you mentioned it too, how hard uh, that recruitment's going or if there's a real it's mutual very murky. feeling. It's very murky. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel too about it. And it feels like if they can lock down Jesse and they can lock down Kurtang early, um, again, maybe they then can pivot to being able to put more resources on guys that are going to be competitive recruiting battles. Yeah. You know, is going to get recruited probably at the end by, I think he has a Kansas offer. UK has been looking at him, Indiana, Purdue. Like he's going to be looked at very heavily by a bunch of different schools. Uh, there's even some chatter. Maybe he could reclassify. I've heard that that's not going to happen. Now I've heard maybe that could happen. Um, I would love that. If you want to add to the 2023 class, throw him in that mix. Let's go right now. But uh, regardless of what happens, I do think Michigan State, the class that they brought in 2023 and the way that he went about the recruiting, like right. you said, um, finding Carr and Norman late in that class, putting the full court press and getting those two guys to commit basically within like two weeks of their visit. Uh, you know, located him, found him, got him to take an official visit like the next week, and two weeks later, both guys are in the fold. Right. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Jeremy Fears, so I'm curious to see once he gets on campus how he can kind of help recruit some of the guys. And so I, I trust the staff a lot more after the 23 class. I think looking forward, you have to be relatively optimistic about the trajectory of the program and the way that they're going about recruiting, even though for my personal sake, uh, you know, chasing after high school kids for two, three years instead of maybe spending a month trying to find a portal piece that could fit in nicely. Right. I, I wish he could find a balance from that. Obviously, two of our starters are portal kids, so it's not like he's completely let it go. Yeah. Um, but he just comes out and he bashes it, you know, basically any chance he gets at the beginning of the season. <laughs> so I, I don't know. He's made his thoughts clear. I think if they absolutely need to go get a guy, um, they'll go do it eventually in the yeah. portal, but I think it, he'll be selective. It'll have to be the right guy, the right situation. And yeah, and we so saw we'll even while he was bashing the portal, he was taking the first flight out east to go talk to Jalen Bridges right after he entered the portal. He invited um, Michael, Michael Parrish. Parrish's entire extended family to campus. So. I think most of Izzo's frustration, and this is just my opinion, this isn't something I've asked him, the, the most of the frustration comes from um, 
people thinking Mahdi wasn't going to become what he has become. In my opinion, though, I think you could have still had a supplementary piece right behind Mahdi. 100%. I, yeah, so I, I guess um, the coach and I, I will disagree uh, on on that angle of it. But, yeah, a lot of Izzo's frustration, in my opinion, was coming from people just discarding Mahdi. So when he was giving those quotes, it was specific to the center position. It was specific to Mahdi because his actions um, regarding trying to get a winger were different than what he was saying about the portal. He was trying to get one. And I know that, that they felt that if they were wrong um, with this move, they will reevaluate their stance in the future regarding the portal, too. So it's not as stubborn as it seems from the quotes that Izzo gives. Yeah, and I guess if he was so confident in Matty, I wish he would have played him a little bit more maybe last season. I know there was a bit <laughs> of a log jam at it, but he played less as a sophomore than he right. did as a freshman. There was one last body in the rotation. So there was no indication either production-wise or by the staff that they, they had that trust in it. So it's difficult as a fan base to 100% have a pulse on what's going on behind the scenes. Right. And it's a situation where... It, it seems at least he feels comfortable with it. I think Maddie's growth probably doesn't come if there's another body, a starting body from there. But at the same time, you look at it, and if they could have found another guy to be able to defend and protect the rim and rebound, and you had two Maddie-like guys, two guys that are cleaning glass and protecting the rim, I think Michigan State's probably general outlook and the, maybe the one hole that really is still in the roster mm -hmm. is covered up a little bit and maybe the entire outlook for the season looks a little different. So yeah. he went a different route. I think you know we've we've kicked that dead yeah. horse so many times. Yeah. So we're, we're too far in the season to worry about it. Yeah. But I do think that just trying to understand the, the philosophical part of it, um, and I think he's going to have a decision again this year because if you don't end up retaining any of the seniors, if Hall, Hauser, and Walker all decide to go, um, you're basically saying Aikens is going to be a starter, which he has a little bit. I think mm -hmm. you feel comfortable with you know Hogard and Aikens in your backcourt. Um, Holloman's there. Fears is going to be dynamic. I can't wait. I think that's still a very electric four-player rotation in your backcourt. What does the wing look like? Uh, you know, and that's the question maybe that I have. Pierre Brooks has, has shown some spurts where he can put the ball in the hole. He hasn't shown the ability to defend. Uh, are they going to be able to rely on him to play 30 minutes per game next year? Is Cohen Carr a guy that's going to maybe have to play some on the wing? I, I think that they have an interesting decision on that. You know, Norman's probably going to have to play some two and three because of some of the log jam here. He's maybe going to get squeezed out a little minutes. So I'm curious to see if they again roll the dice and say we're going to rely on the guys that we recruited. We have this nice class coming in. We're just going to do that. Or maybe you have a window open and there's you know a top 10 15 team that's just missing like one veteran piece in the wing and do you give that to yourself so i'm very curious to see what the philosophy will be kind of yeah. after the end of this season heading into the offseason and what he does with that heading into uh what i think could be a really exciting 23 24 right season. and i can say confidently um months in advance now it's a subjective grade of of, of whether it's true or not if pierre brooks doesn't take a step which I said, again, is subjective in Izzo and the coaching staff's mind. Yeah. If he does not take a step, they will be comfortable looking at the portal to from, not squander. From what your knowledge chance. is and just yes. your general feel about yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Like, nobody has told me, hey, we don't have faith in Pure Brooks next year's a portal year. No one said anything like that. But that is how they will be making the decision is, is Pierre the guy in 2024? Three twenty-four to just come in, be inserted as a solid starter. Him and Cohen eating up all the power forward minutes if Hall and Hauser leave. If the answer to that is no, they will be. Maybe they won't land one. We don't, we know what happened with uh, Bridges and Parrish because both of those guys wanted guarantees to play thirty plus minutes. Um, but they will they will not be stubborn and stay out of the portal if they don't have total faith in Pure Bucks. Yeah, and I think Pierre Brooks, this is a big uh, swing season. I think that he's come further. This is basically his freshman year because he barely got any run year one. It's almost uh, you know a similar spot where Trey is kind of you know getting some spot minutes and growing, and we really won't know what that looks like until maybe next season. Right. So uh, I like that Pierre's had some opportunity in light of some of the injuries to, to play some more minutes, but this is a situation where – um, you really have to be able to see some growth, particularly on the defensive end. I think he needs to continue to work on his body and slim down a little bit. And we won't really know the answer to that until we maybe get to the end of the season, the comfort right. level with the staff to be able to say, is he this plug-and-play small forward that we know we're going to get the best out of next year, or do we need to maybe boost that position a little bit? Right, for sure. And just the last thing touching on this recruiting angle, um, maybe you already did, Owen, but can you put up the um, pictures of the two profiles of, of Jesse and Kerr? 
Um, so these are the two guys that I just mentioned as the guys that I'm looking to put in a crystal ball for soon. I talked to Jesse yesterday. He told me um, he's visited Michigan State about four times, and he says that, relatively speaking, he would like to close down his recruiting process sooner than most kids would. Um, he didn't give me a month or a day or anything like that, and he didn't specifically say Michigan State was leading. Um, but I'm, I'm close to putting in a crystal ball pick there, and um, it seems like the timeline there is expedited. With Kerr Tang, he's a guy that um, he's kind of juggling in his mind whether he wants to take more visits or not. He's not looking to take any in the immediate near future. But Providence is one school that has done a good job with him um, for over a year now. And that's a school that would get his next official visit if he takes one. So really what that has come down to is either he will be committing soon or he will be visiting in several months, um, Providence, and then we'll see what happens after that. I'm close to putting in a crystal ball prediction there as well, but those are the two timelines and basically where those two recruitments sit right now. Um, but yeah, that's DK. Anything else on the recruiting side? No, I guess I mean if Kerr wants to stay closer to home, I could see him choosing Providence. But I don't. Has Ed Cooley ever made a Sweet Sixteen? I don't think he has. Yeah, it would just be a, it's a downgrade in the program there. So yeah. you'd like to think that Michigan State should be able to throw a little bit of their weight around and uh, hopefully convince him to come hop aboard because we'd love to have him. So yeah, yeah. Even if he does end up taking that visit. It doesn't concern me as much. Um, that's why I'm kind of willing to put in the crystal ball before we find out what's happening with his visit schedule. So I agree there for sure. Um, just kind of running through a couple of football topics here before I wrap up the show. Um, Jeremiah Beasley, 2024 four-star linebacker uh, from Belleville, Michigan. He's the half-brother of Malik Carr, who is obviously the Michigan State tight end uh, right now. He's a guy that put out a top five while he was at the Sound Mind, Sound Body Camp at Ford Field last week. Michigan State made the cut down, as well as Michigan, Tennessee, and a few others. He's going to be making a commitment in March, he told me while at the camp. Uh, he's going to be um, deciding between, honestly, I think Michigan State, maybe Michigan. Um, I think he's uh, leaning towards Michigan State right now as the crystal balls for me and my colleagues at Spartan Tailgate. Uh, outline, but pretty much that's the only real tangible recruiting update on the football side of things, so I wanted to touch on that. Then the other sort of um, relevant football topic right now, though it does not um, directly pertain to Michigan State, it's um, a school they recruit against and the school they play against, Jim Harbaugh rumors um, seem to be coming back to the fray as they do every single January, despite him saying they won't the next January. And um, right now he was linked to the Carolina Panthers a few days ago by The Athletic, to which he said, who knows about the future, but I think I'm going to be coaching Michigan. Um, so very strong rejection there. And um, the Denver Broncos are another candidate that is looking for a coach. And there you see The Athletic support with Bruce Feldman, Nicole Arbach, and Austin Meek. They are saying that if he gets a tangible offer as a head coach of an NFL franchise, he will be leaving. And um, there's way more qualified people than me to be speaking on what's happening at Michigan. But from what I have dug around and what I've looked around um, the past, um, I'd say 14 months, um, even before last year's sort of um, events unfolded, he really does want to go in a Super Bowl. I don't think it has much to do about money. I don't think it has a lot to do with people saying he has a sour relationship with Ward Manuel. I don't think it has as much to do about NIL either, which I, I do think that's a legitimate gripe he has. I think it's just him sort of wanting to go back and win a Super Bowl, and I think that's just an itch that you can't scratch without actually going. That's not something you can appease him of with, with a new contract. Maybe you can overpay a ton and give him like $115 million over 10 years, fully guaranteed. But other than that, I think that's just something he wants to do. We'll see if he gets an offer. DK, I don't know if you want to jump in here and say anything about no, this. No, I'm just but. curious that, say Harbaugh does leave, where would you see them looking, I guess, for the next head coach? Do they do it internally? Do they look externally? Um, he obviously, you know, back-to-back -back CFB playoffs, I mean, kind of got them to the point where maybe they have been in the past. Um, couldn't get him over the hump this year against a TCU team that you're probably not going to see again in the CFB, you know, for as long as it's a four-team playoff. So. Right. Where do you see maybe them looking 
uh, if, if he does leave in terms of replacement coaches? If I'm Michigan, I'm probably opting towards continuity, um, and I'm probably looking at Sharon Moore, their offensive line coach slash play caller. He's a guy that can keep together most of the core roster, um, which I think is crucial because – and this is what makes this even more, I guess, hurtful to Michigan fans if Harbaugh leaves because, in my opinion, next year is his best shot to win a title for his alma mater um, that he's ever had. And for him to leave despite that opportunity in front of him for his program, it, I don't know, that doesn't seem right. But I think you look at the Ohio State game being at home, the same um, easy non-conference schedule. Um, the perennial powers all losing a quarterback. Alabama's losing Bryce Young. Georgia's losing Stetson Bennett. Ohio State's losing C.J. Stroud. Um, those were three of the top teams in college football this year. Uh, if Michigan reaches the playoff next year, those teams are all without a perennial quarterback unless one develops, like you know Devin Brown at Ohio State, for example. Michigan would have had a golden opportunity to take a relatively stable roster into the same exact position as they did with less hurdles than last year. And because of that, um, I think you, you got to keep your current roster together. You got to have continuity with Sharon Moore. Plus, the external candidates just aren't as appealing to me right now. Like a couple years ago, I would have been all over Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Um, I don't think his recent sort of lack of success should be held against him because for him to build that program to begin with at Iowa State is very impressive. But to me, I, I don't know. I, I just think the shine is off a little there. Bill O'Brien was somebody they were eyeing very closely last cycle. I don't know um, how much I like that idea, especially if there is indeed um, some tumultuous um, sort of inner workings at Michigan with Ward Manuel and the NIL Collective. Um, that's all secondhand information to me. So I don't know if he's the guy you want. He's a little abrasive. Um, you're not getting Luke Fickle now. If I don't know if that would have been realistic to begin with, but there's not really that many candidates out there. I think maybe Dave Clawson at Wake Forest would be a guy that people might not be as excited about, but I think would do a good job there. But is he that much better than Sharon Moore and, and not opting for continuity despite having a great run at another title? So... I don't know. I, I think that's where my head is at, but there are, there are other Michigan people that are more qualified to speak on it than I am. But I think it's a very interesting scenario. And the, the only thing that I think that doesn't make any sense to me is all the fans and the replies of tweets that are Michigan fans. And they're like, oh, why do these rumors keep coming up? It's not happening. He hasn't left so far. You guys said every year he hasn't left. Well, that's only because Minnesota didn't offer him the job last year. Everything that was reported last cycle was true other than the fact that Harbaugh thought the job was his to lose and that wasn't the case. Um, so as far as I know, last year, nobody lied. The rumors were all essentially true. Had Minnesota offered him the job, he would have been gone. So that's legitimacy. And I think um, if you're not nervous and you're a Michigan fan, then I guess it's better that way for your personal health, but I, I just can't see how that's the case. So what, what are the odds, do you think, stay or go? Is it 50-50, 60-40? Where are you sitting right now? Like, what's your gut saying? I think it's 60-40 because I think the Denver job makes a lot of sense for both parties. Um, in Harbaugh's mind, he's going to see at Denver, he's going to see an elite defense. He's going to see a new ownership group that is looking to spend money. And he himself is going to believe he can rehabilitate Russell Wilson into what he was. From the ownership's perspective, um, the Walton family that, that just bought the Broncos, they want to come in with a splash. They want to make a name. They want to appease the Denver fan base. Harbaugh is the way to do that. They have the money to do that. They're going to be able to pay 4 or $5 million more than what he makes currently on Michigan at the very least as, as the bottom line price. And he's a guy that, hey, even if Russell Wilson can't be fixed, Harbaugh's going to come in and make a run game that's going to be one of the best in football. That's one thing you can say about Harbaugh. Kyle Shanahan's up there. Harbaugh's up there. If I'm designing a run game, that's who I'm, that's who I'm getting. And the defense is, is what it is. So I think he's going to come in. He's going to be able to win some games. Can he stay there five years? I don't know. That's where I think he kind of wears out his welcome at a non-college setting. But I think it makes sense for both sides. And they should offer him, um, just removing any sort of emotion from that. If you can get... Jim Harbaugh, you're the Denver Broncos. I don't see really anybody that, that would be a better choice right now other than maybe D'Amico Ryans, the 49ers DC. But can he fix Russ at all? Then you're basically admitting defeat on that project. So 
I don't know. I think I think Denver should offer him, and I think he's leaving if they do. So I'll say sixty percent that he's gone. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting times, especially yeah. uh, you know for the rivalry. He finally, you know, beats Ohio State back to back years. He beats Michigan State this year again. Gets the CFB. So, um, you know, I, I what would well, I guess how would fans feel? Do you think like it took him some years to get there, but he kind of achieved maybe yeah. what they thought he could? Because I, I I don't know. At least for me personally. Up until this year, when when this kind of bracket unfolded in the way that the season went, I didn't think that there's a complete juggernaut where Michigan was going to get waxed if they had made it to the title game. Yeah. I think I think if they had played Georgia, that's still a game where they right. could have hung around in. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, to me, again, was kind of the year where you're like, ah, like maybe they could have gone to the national title and won it. Yeah. Um, but I think most years, it's you know the run game's great. Uh, particularly the way that they've, they've done it in the Big Ten and Ohio State's kind of playing more of that air raid offense right. where they haven't really, you know, like you, you've said before in, in group chats where they were going out to beat Clemson and now Michigan has changed their brand of football or at least they've emboldened the brand of football that he's always wanted to play, which is just a big, beefy O-line and run it down your throat. Um, so maybe there's got to be some adaption there from OSU to be able to get over their hump in, in beating Michigan again. But I, I don't know if Michigan's ever really capable of winning it. Yeah. And maybe this is just a scenario where he really did kind of reach the peak of the mountain for what you have at a school that, you know, yeah, doesn't play the, the, the rules the same way as maybe some of the SEC schools does. And I, I think that that's fair. Yeah, I think, I think the way that I would answer the question of, of how would you feel if you're a Michigan fan – if Harbaugh leaves before this next season, and I'm a Michigan fan, I'm not too happy about that. Because, as you said, you're correct that this was a great opportunity that they just had. This was a great opportunity. TCU, they can beat. Georgia was much more beatable than the previous year. Last year, they had no shot. This year, they had a legitimate shot. Next year, I would argue they have a better shot for the reasons I laid out earlier. For him to not give it that one more year while J.J. is there, Donovan Edwards is there, great portal class coming in, easy schedule, all those other things. For him to leave before this one final shot, that would leave just a sour taste in my mouth as a Michigan fan, despite him doing a lot of great work and getting him back up to this level. If he were to have left after this upcoming season, if he, even if he fell short and they didn't win a title, at that point, if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm just thanking him for his work and, and there's no ill will. Mm. But to me, if he leaves before this next year of, of this title opportunity, it's, it's not sitting right with me if I'm a Michigan fan at all. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll hold our breasts and see what ends up happening. But yeah. uh, I'm sure there will be a timeline meltdown if it does. So. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the chief of propaganda will be very um, sensitive to Michigan fans' <laughs> feelings, and um, there will be nothing to see on the timeline. But DK, a fantastic show. Always great picking your mind on MSU hoops, MSU hoops recruiting, and and all the Harbaugh uh, happenings as well. So yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for, for having sure. me. Yeah, uh, appreciate you guys t- uh, joining in. Uh, appreciate you tuning in as always and uh, we'll see you guys next time and I will add um, keep an eye on the timelines tomorrow there's going to be a big announcement regarding the future of this show so we'll see you next Wednesday please close your eyes turn around and count to nine when you open them I will be gone How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day, your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Set summer in motion 
with the most adventurous Honda vehicles yet, like the Passport and Pilot Trail Sport, and the Ridgeline, built for better off-road performance and engineered for more adventure. Summer's here. For a limited time, well-qualified buyers can get a 3.9% APR on a 2023 Honda Pilot, a 2.9% APR on a 2023 Passport, and a 0.9% APR on a 2023 Ridgeline. Buy online, reserve from select dealers, or visit your local Honda dealer today. See dealer for financing details.